Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Braden Murren. Braden has over 20 years experience in the equipment rental industry, and at one point was the New South Wales president for the Hire and Rental Association, and has worked at companies such as Advanced Scaffold, Hire One, and Kennards Hire. Today, Braden is the general manager of New South Wales at CEA. Braden, to kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the hiring rental industry? I was actually um, 14 years old and my uncle, Maury Abbott, who is a, a bit of a I guess, pioneer in the rental game, uh, had a rental company and he, uh, he asked me to, to come and work on a Saturday. And let me tell you, it was the worst four hours of my life having to go up there and scrub concrete off cement mixes, you know, polish shells, clean machinery, be on my feet all day and get 20 bucks in the end of it. That was probably the reward, but that's, that's kind of where I started. And I guess from that point, I didn't realize how, um, how addictive the hire industry would be, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to, to start at the very um, roots of it where you are sweeping the floor and you're doing all those things, those little jobs that help you later in life to know, you know, how, how bad those jobs are, but also how long they take. And then other people who actually do that um, when you have your own company, you know, you have a bit of empathy and a bit of, um, you know, support for them. Yeah. And well, I think even when you are sort of promoted from being that 14 year old working in a, in a higher branch to a branch manager or a general manager, whatever it might be, everyone in the hiring industry seems to always be working for each other as well. And a real sense of community and there's none of this judgment. And that's also the, the thing that um, I like the most. And I think Alan Beslin kind of um, embodied this was that, doesn't matter who you are in the rental industry. There's no, there's no prima donnas. You're actually all in there together just to do a lot of, lot of hard work. And whether you're the CEO or you're the general manager or you're a branch manager or a hire controller, if someone needs a delivery and there's no one to do it, everyone will just jump in a truck and just go do it. Or if you need to go down to the local hardware store and buy a, you know, a widget to fix a machinery for a customer, you, you just go in there and, and do it. It doesn't matter what your, your position is. And everyone just kind of um, jumps in. Yeah, such a great trait of the industry. So talk to me about like some of the roles that you've had at various companies in the hiring rental industry. Yeah, okay. So the first one was that that you know machine polisher, I, I call it. Um, I then I then actually went away from the the hiring industry for for a few years, and um, that that was because I was still in primary school, I guess, or, or high school. And when I came back in, it was through the scaffold um, hire um, business. So in there, I was brought on as the uh, marketing um, director with, with my uncle. And in there, look, we manufactured scaffold, we hired it out, we fixed it, we sold it. From that position, then we, we bought a, a general hire business and, um, you know, done everything there from the hire controlling to, you know, general manager to, you know, delivery driver. Um, during that time too, that, that we were, uh, we had that high business called Hire One. Um, I was also the New South Wales uh, president for the Hire Association for a few years. And then we actually sold um, that high business to Kennards and did a few things selling equipment in between that time and then came on board with, with Kennards. So with Kennards, I was the disposal manager and I, I, knew, I knew I wanted to come on board with Kennards. It's a, it's a wonderful company, great culture. And I knew that I wanted more than just the disposal manager, but I kind of took on that role just to show them uh, what I could do and, and hope that more would come in the future. 
So within six months, um, Angus Kennard had um, left to go and do his MBA and I took over the asset and procurement team. So my role was the head of asset and procurement for, for Kennard's hiring. I did that for uh, just over five years. Um, during that time too, I was the national vice president for the, the hire association. And um, since then, um, I've left Kennard's last year in December and now a supplier to the, the construction and rental industry with a company called Construction Equipment Australia or CEA. And um, we don't rent anything out or hire anything out, but we distribute the JCB, Dynapack, Atlas Copco, uh, Ditchwich and Comtech products, just to, to name a few. But I still feel very close to the, the, the rental industry. I still talk to everyone there, at least on a, on a weekly basis. And there's, there's a part of me, I think every week that I kind of feel, you know, I wish I was back in rental. <laughs> That's nice to hear. You might not rent anything, but you're still very much part of the hire and rental industry. So let's go back to hire one for a little bit. So that was very much a family run business and then it grew and eventually sold to Ken Arts Hire. Can you talk about some of the challenges you went through in sort of growing that business? Yeah, so we actually bought um, Hire One when we had the scaffold business, Advanced Scaffold. And we actually sold the scaffold business to Oldfields. And so I was actually contracted in to stay there and, and run the, the scaffold business for Oldfields. Once that was up, I then left there and we went back into the, the family you know, hire business, which is hire one. And the first thing that we did when, when I came on board was we opened our third branch at, at Hurstville. So um, it was actually really exciting at the time, you know, acquiring the premises, getting the equipment, um, and then finding customers to actually grow that side of the business. So it was a, um, a real challenging time because you basically started from scratch. You have a little bit of revenue from other branches that kind of come into your area, but you basically started from scratch. And within a probably a probably a four month period, our turnover probably got up to about fifty thousand that first you know four or five months months, which was which was good. Um, from there, we then employed a, a branch manager to run that branch, and and I kind of went over to our Roselle branch, which was a branch that was in a little bit of um, trouble and. Uh, kind of base myself out of out of there. Okay, and then eventually Hire One would be sold to Kennard's Hire, and you would come on board as the Group Asset and Procurement Manager. What what was it about the procurement side that that interested you? Yeah, well, this it's, it's actually a bit of a um, a two edged sword, to be honest with you, Mark. The the position was there, and it actually excited me to kind of get into that that procurement side. When when you run your own business, you you kind of look after procurement. So when we had our scaffold business, we actually opened a, uh, they call it a Wolfie, a wholly foreign-owned entity in China where we um, manufactured aluminum scaffold and sold it all around the world. My email address when we were doing that was braden at scaffoldtheworld.com and that was our vision and our goal. So you, you kind of look at the procurement that you've done over the years, it's just kind of led into that, that Kennard's role and, and it was there and available. And to be honest, I didn't really know what to expect in that role. And when I took it over, I think there was some things that were needed to improve. So one, one thing that, um, that Angus Kennard did was he actually took the procurement team in Kennards from each state ordering their own equipment to then having it all under the one, one banner. And, and that was a hard task for him to do. And then my role, once Angus left, was then to actually put more processes in place and take on more responsibility on the, on the asset side of it, not just the procurement side of it. So when I started, there was five people in the asset and procurement team. And, and when I, I left, we actually had um, 11 people in the asset and procurement team. And that's just because we took on more roles and more responsibilities in, uh, in and around that. 
what my biggest issue was, and this is probably one of the reasons for leaving, I realized that I was actually put into that procurement box, that actually people thought that I was a, a procurement person. And the reality was I've always been a, a general manager style um, role. So everything I've done has been everything. And I realized that, that Kennards and also other people saw me as that, that procurement person. And, and I wanted to kind of get out from under that, um, that uh, I guess, label and get back into the general manager um, role where there's more growth and more opportunities. Um, and that's kind of how that, that kind of you know, came about. Well, that's some real insight there. I'm thinking, thanks for sharing that information. So, so then being with Construction Equipment Australia or CEA, all that experience that you gained from working in the hiring and rental industry must have helped you a lot when you switched to the other side and being a supplier to the hiring rental industry. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you know, I, I, th- I think the old old school mentality of procurement is always, you know, I am the king and you will do what I say. I think that's that's gone. Well, I hope it's gone. Um, n- now it's more of a, a partnership between suppliers and rental companies, and that's one thing that I really tried to bring to the picture at at Kennards was um, that we're actually not competing against each other. We're not trying to get the last dollar out of each other and make sure that almost neither of us can, can eat that night. But it's actually a partnership where we need you and, and you need us and let's work together on how we can actually make that, make that work. It was a lot easier when we had a problem with a supplier to actually work with that supplier and get them to come to the standards that we needed them to get to rather than to get that supplier a flick and start again with a new supplier. Because oftentimes the grass isn't greener on the other side. You've got the same problems and you just got to work with it anyway. So we would actually spend a lot of time with suppliers to get them to the level that they need to be. Um, Angus Kennard had brought in the supplier awards nights and, and I continued that on. I thought that was one of the, the greatest things that we ever did at Kennards for, for the suppliers. I don't know if you came to one of those, Mark, did you? Yeah, I actually attended one a few years ago. I was it was it was great to actually see the effort that Kennard's hire put into the I guess the relationship that they have with their suppliers. Yeah, it's so true. So, so at that at that night, we actually we survey our suppliers every year. I, I say we, I, I'm not there anymore, but I, I still feel like I'm, I'm part of that family. But so Kenaz would, would survey the suppliers every year and would actually rank all our suppliers or our top 50 suppliers from from one to 50, and um, that would actually be done by branch managers, uh, maintenance controllers, area managers, general managers would all all rate the suppliers and. The ones that actually were in the top three would actually get a gold, silver and bronze award based on, on the values that we have and then would have an overall supplier of the year. Now, it's amazing how you, you have that event. We have anywhere from probably 200, 250 people attend and it, it doesn't it doesn't come cheap. But after that event, people come up to you and say, Braden, I, I want to win an award. How do I do that? And we'll say, all right, come come and sit down with us and let's, let's talk about where you can improve. And we'll go through the survey and you can see that all right, they may be low in a certain area and high in another one. And you can almost pinpoint, you know, this is what you need to do to improve there. And oftentimes suppliers would then go away and try to, you know, improve for next year because they wanted to get up on the podium and get, get an award because there's a bit of a, a prestige about it. And I saw many suppliers that were probably, you know, 15, 20 down the list to get into the top top five. And to get in the top five of those supplier awards is, is you know, almost like hen's teeth, very, very hard to do. And, and very rare. So it was, it was wonderful to, to see. I, I also remember Hilti, New Zealand. Um, my first trip over there, we almost gave them the boot. They were, they were terrible, the, the, um, 
the support they were giving us. And over a three-year period, we worked with them to get them up to, to scratch. And it wasn't, wasn't just me. There was a lot of people in New Zealand and also within Kennards that were, were working with them. And then they actually have taken out the supplier um, gold award for the last um, two times running. And I look at that as a wonderful, you know, tick of success that, you know, here's a supplier that's a good supplier that's just struggling, working with them to get them up to where they need to be. We now benefit from that. Wow, what a, what a success story! And this this podcast isn't even sponsored by Hilti, so that's a yeah, that's a, that's a really good example of a supplier customer relationship. Now, I I can really feel the love that you've got for Kennard's Hire and and the passion, and obviously just working there, you you really enjoyed it. But what what was the reason for leaving Kennard's Hire then and joining CEA then? Yeah, uh, oh, great question, Mark. I um I. I was looking for a challenge and I spoke to many people within Kenards, um, including my, my boss and other general managers that I actually felt that I could confide in and just said to them, I, I need, I need more of a challenge. I didn't feel like that head of asset and procurement role was, was pushing me to where I, I needed to go or I wanted to go. And I actually applied for a couple of general manager roles within, within Kenards, one down in, in Melbourne, one in WA and, and I was actually unsuccessful there. And, I realized kind of at that point that if I was to kind of progress my career, that I'd have to leave Kennards in order to do that. Now, sometimes that's a bit of a confronting thing to do and I'm, I'm not disappointed by that one little bit or I'm not bitter that I didn't get those other roles, but it was, it was good for me to actually come to that realization that, you know, I need to leave in order to, to progress. And, and that's probably just a reality of, of some people. And I think sometimes we don't have that, um, insight and we stay at a company thinking yep yeah, i'll get that next promotion i get the next promotion it never comes so that that whole process i wanted to make sure too that i left kinards on, on good terms so before i did that i actually went to um to angus kinard who was a ceo at the time and i said to him you know angus i i need that that next challenge and um i can't see it within kinards and i just want your blessing that you know i can go and find it elsewhere um because i knew that i'd still probably be working closely with Kennards and I didn't want to upset that relationship either. And Angus said, well, what do you want to do, Braden? And we tried to kind of find something within Kennards and look, it, it, the long and short of it didn't kind of work out. But Angus basically at the end of it said, look, Braden, I'll give you a blessing that, you know, you can go and make the, the best decision for your, your career. And from there, I then put the feelers out on a few um, companies and I'd had a close relationship with um, CEA through, um, through the JCB product. And, um, you know, one thing kind of led to another and, and I came on board as the New South Wales general manager at, at CEA and CEA were having a, a bit of a, a growth spurt in New South Wales. I just moved moving into a new premises at Hornency Park. So brand new 20,000 square meter facility and they were merging all the brands in together and they needed someone to actually help with that, that, that merger and kind of solve a few um, service issues. And that's where I kind of came into to lend my, I don't know if it's expertise, but my my skills. And since I came on board, which is almost 12 months ago, let me tell you, every day is a challenge. and I, I feel like I want to pull my hair out. And if this wasn't a podcast, you'd probably see how much hair I, I don't have from, from this position. But every day has been a challenge and, and I wish it was a little bit smoother in some days, but I'm loving that challenge. I'm loving the problems that we have and being able to fix it. And I've always been in, in positions that have been very highly customer focused and that the customer service was the best almost in the industry. 
you, know, you look at Kennards, you know, best customer service in the industry. I was with a company, an insurance company called Direct Dial, which was a product of Allianz or MMI, and they prided themselves on best customer service. I, I was at the Park Hyde Hotel in the in the city, um, did everything from washing dishes to the concierge receptionist doorman of the hotel, and that was also pride themselves on the best customer service. And so I was able to bring that into this role and help people to give the best customer service to our customers and hopefully improve the uh, the service level. We, we all know the, the saying that the salesman sells the first machine, then the service team sells the, the rest. And that is that is so true, you know, that, that it's so important for us to make sure that the front end and the back end are aligned and that they can actually look after the customer all the way through that, that, that process. And I, I feel like, you know, I'm probably halfway through that whole journey of getting it, getting it right after 12 months. And hopefully after another 12 months, it'll be, you know, almost, almost perfect and, and giving people like, you know, Kat and Komatsu and those, you know, industry leaders, um, some, um, some kick up the backside. I like your passion. So for those who don't know what construction equipment in Australia is, can you talk about what products and services CEA provide? Yes, CEA is part of um, the CFC group of companies, which is a privately owned company business. We have 90 branches, sorry, we have 90 dealers across uh, Australia with nine branches that are owned by, by ourselves with almost 300 employees Australia-wide. So we've been in um, operation for um, just over 40 years. And our newest branch, which is the Horn and Sea branch in Sydney, which is the one that, that I look after and run, um, we've just been operating out of here since December. So this is the first one that we've created, which is all linked in together. So we've, we've put all brands and all operations into the one facility. So the brands that we actually look after are uh, JCB. So JCB do your, your backhoe loaders, they do skid steer, excavators, wheel loaders, that, that sort of product. You've got Atlas Copco, which are um, lighting towers, compressors, generators. You've got Dynapack, which looks after your compaction, everything from your small plate compactors up to your large um, rollers. And then we've just had two brands come on board just recently, uh, which is Ditchwich and Comtech. So Ditchwich is, of course, the, the big American brand that does your uh, directional drilling and um, and your your vac excavators along with your skid steers, and then Comtech is a a green waste uh, product that basically mulches all the all the waste that you see at the tip and uh, and spits it out the other end in very very small pieces. So that's what uh, that's what CA does and who we are. And so, do you also provide aftermarket service? Of, of course, we we sell, uh, and then the after sales looks after parts and servicing. Um, so we, we're always looking to also, you know, trade in machines when it comes to sales. Um, but yeah, also servicing, we can do it on site or we can do it, um, you know, in our own premises. We currently run in our Sydney. We have 22 techs in the Hornency uh, Park branch um, and nine of them are actually mobile. So they can um, jump in a vehicle and, and come out there and, and service on site. And so you mentioned earlier that you like being challenged do you think that's played a big part in like your success to date oh i don't, I don't know I'm, I'm not i'm not driven by money but i don't say no to money you know i i, I think i think you should be paid paid what you're worth but I, i'm actually not driven by money I'm, I'm i'm definitely driven by success and i think a lot of people out there are are like that um i i can't i can't sit still and stay in the same position 
I've always got to be be moving and, and progressing and moving forward. And I, to be honest, Mark, I don't know where that, that came from. I think it's just something that you may be, you know, born with. I, I'm not I'm not hugely competitive when it comes to, to sport. I, I love playing sport and I love pushing myself in sport. My, I guess my favourite sport was, was um, you know, Olympic lifting and lifting really heavy weights. And, and that wasn't doing it to be able to compete with the person next to me. That was, that was me trying to um, push myself and, and find out where my limits are. I'm now paying the price with a sore shoulder and a sore knee because of some things that I did, but, but it's always been something that I've tried to, to better myself and, and just, just improve. When, when I'm in between roles or if I don't have enough to do my role, I actually go a bit crazy. You know, I like to be too busy. I like to have so much on my plate that I've got to, you know, spend a little bit too much time at work or, um, you know, stay back an hour or two to, to, to catch up in order to feel like I'm, I'm succeeding. When you just said competition, the first thing that came to my mind was when you and I were at the Higher Mental Association event out at Penrith at the Whitewater Rafting. And then they put all the biggest blokes in one raft <laughs> and Luke Gillen was sitting in the middle of all of us. <laughs> Lucky he didn't die. Oh, that's so good. All right. Well, look, getting back to the industry, uh, how do you think the higher mental industry has changed in the last 20 years? Yeah, I, um, I remember when I first was in the industry and that would have been back in 2000, uh, 1999 actually, um, when I started in the industry. And I remember... It was, it was a little bit clicky back then. I, I did find that it took me, you know, a good maybe three to five years before I felt comfortable going to events. And I don't know if that was the industry itself or it was me personally, but it was it was hard to kind of, you know, make some friends and and get some good acquaintances. But once I did, it's almost like you then have a friend for life. You see these people once a year at the higher association. And it's almost like you're, you're best friends again and you're, you're talking about your families and your challenges and you're sharing your deep, darkest secret with them. And you end up uh, at the end of the night and I'm not a drinker, but you end up, you know, they, they're drunk crying on my shoulder and I'm crying on their shoulder. You know, you just, you just feel like you're, you're, you're brothers. And I think because you kind of go through the same experiences on a day-to-day basis that you have that, that bond. And that bond can't really be, be broken, I don't think. You're, you're always friends with them because of that, that common love you have for the, the hire industry. So I look now, I think that the, the hire industry is a little bit friendlier and easier to kind of get in, in with other people. But I also see that the, the technology side of it's changed a lot. And of course, that's, that's going to be the case. You know, when, when I was there, we used to send faxes to each other. Um, you know, you got an order at one branch, you send a fax to the other branch and they would um, process it. Now you see people ordering online and customers actually paying for it and the, the machine's actually being delivered to them without them even talking to anyone. So that, that sort of side of it's changed greatly. You also look at the, the tracking uh, of the equipment. Back then, someone stole your piece of equipment, mate, you'd be, you'd be going up and down the street trying to find where it was and you know, stalking people's houses late at night to see where they went. And now, you know, you, you, you look on your phone and you can see where your assets are and if it moves at, a, at an odd hour of the evening, you, you go straight out there and you, you get it and there's your machine. So, you know, nine times out of 10, you can get those, those assets back. You also then look at, and this is what we were doing at, um, at Kennards. We had demolition saws that had trackers on them. So this is a, you know, $1,500, 2000 asset that has a tracker on it to tell you how many hours the machine is doing. And back then you just run your demo saw until it, it died and then you throw it away and you get a new one or you, you, you wouldn't actually throw it away. You'd, you'd pull it apart and, 
put some more pieces in and, and out of two, you'd make one and, and keep it going. Whereas now you can actually almost know that at, at 500 hours, you need to change X and then at a thousand hours, you do this with it, even with a, an asset that's only worth $1,500 to 2000. So there's some pretty, um, pretty impressive things that are out there. And all these things should do a couple of things. They, they should you know, make, make your life easier um, and they should actually be a benefit to, to the customer. So if they can actually be more reliable, then that's a benefit to the customer. Um, and if you can know where your asset is and what sort of use it's, it's, it's having, that's a, that's a benefit to yourself to be able to then pass on to the, the customer. Well, all really good points there. Now you mentioned the Hire Mental Association and you were the president for a period of time. So can you talk through maybe why you wanted to become the president and how? Yeah, no one else wanted it. <laughs> and sometimes in the higher association, that's, that's the case, you know, but no one wants to do the job because look, there's no, there's no reward for it. There's no money. Um, the only reward is, I guess, the, um, the friendships and the recognition you get from your, from your peers. Um, why did I want to do it? I, I think it comes back to that, that drive wanting to better myself. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to give back to the industry. And I, I know that if we have a strong industry, then we have strong high businesses. And even, even when I was um, at Kennards, and Kennards, to be honest, probably didn't need the hire industry to be successful. They had enough resources and people to actually do a lot of things that the hire industry did that. But, but as a business and, and, as, and personally, I felt that if, if Kennards could support the industry and the industry was a strong industry, then Kennards would actually benefit from that along with your independence and your smaller um, hire industries. Um, I like... Um, I just like the fact that you can also give back to the community. You know, if, if you're just looking after yourself and looking after your own business, I think you can get very selfish and lose sight of, of, you know, I guess the bigger picture and being able to help people around you and, and, and serve people and serve the industry just helps you to realize that, Hey, you're not, you're not as good as you think you are. You're just as good as everyone else around you. Yeah. That's, that's a great mentality to have to sort of bring everyone up together. Now you sort of half already answered this question, but, but I'm going to ask it again. So what do you get out of attending these, these trade events like the Hire Mental Association uh, annual convention and, and, and what, what benefit do you think the industry gets? Yeah. Uh, look, I think, I think they're essential to be honest. I, um, not everyone feels that way though. They feel like sometimes they're a waste of time, but you also want to get out what you put in. And once again, it's another cliche, but it's so true. If you go there expecting the hire association to increase revenue in your business, or you're, you're expecting the hire industry to actually do things to, for you to help you, um, you know, be successful, I think you're going to be disappointed. You, you've got to go there ready to do things for yourself. And the hire association almost just creates opportunities for you to meet like-minded people or to meet experts in the industry or to have, resources at your fingertips that you may not have as an independent. But it's so important for each, each person in the hiring industry to realize that they're responsible for the success of their business, not the hiring industry. The hiring industry is just there to, to be able to assist them. And I think with that attitude, you put more into it because you know the more you put in, the more you're going to get out. Yeah, I definitely know some people out there that, that see it as a waste of time. But yeah, I completely agree. It's all about what you put in. And yeah, for me, like just the networking aspect has, has been huge. Like the, the amount of people I've met and they're just, yeah, they're, they're, they're 
they can share similar experiences and they provide so much insight and yeah i i love it yeah and the funny the funny thing mark is that when you um when you sit around and talk the most you talk the most things you talk about is actually the hire association you talk about work you know and there's so many things you can talk about the footy you can talk about you know your kids or whatever it may be but everything always comes back when you're around people that are that are in the association to the hire industry because we're i think we're crazy about it yeah i think i think people are crazy about it, it, it you can just see how incestuous the industry is and people seem to stick around and it's pretty hard to hide. Like everyone seems to just know each other as well. So look, I, I want to talk about some advice that you would give to somebody maybe it's new to the industry or maybe someone that's looking at starting their own hire business. You've obviously worked on both sides. You've, you've worked on uh, as, as a very small privately owned business and you've also worked at, at a national hire company. So what advice would you give to somebody? I think the best thing that someone can do if they're going to join the, the hiring industry, so let's say they, they're just about to buy a business or they, they want to start their own um, hire business, you, you've got to surround yourself with, um, with people who have been in the same situation that, that you're in right now. You know? And you'll find that we're actually not there to compete against each other. Yes, yes we're, we're competitors. But, but when you actually get people there in a hire association um, event or even even outside of the hire association event, you catch up with people, you know, they're actually willing to share um, secrets or insights with the hire association to be able to, to help you. And so I would say the best thing you can do is, um, you know, find those people that you get on with in the association and become friends with them and, and they'll be lifelong friends. The, the other thing that you should do is, is protect your assets. And this is the great thing about the hire industry. So long as you have your asset, you can make money. If, if someone hires your excavator out and they don't pay you the, the $300, $500 for the bill, well, you're $300, $500 down, but they give you the excavator back, you can actually hire it out again and still make more money. But if you don't protect your assets, and that, that's, that's with you know, servicing it right, um, securing it, and making sure that you get the longest life out of it, you, you do that too, well, you're also going to have a, a, a successful business. And then so from all these learnings, you would have gained this from other people. So who do you think played a big influence on your career or maybe was a was a mentor to you? Yeah, uh, two people actually come to mind. The, the first one is is Maury Abbott. So Maury is the, he's actually my uncle, so he's my, my mother's younger brother. He was the one that actually gave me my first start in the hire industry where I uh, worked at construction rentals with that job that I, I hated. But later in life, around about 2000, Maury gave me a start with the scaffold business. He actually hurt his back and he, he asked if I'd come give him a hand for a few weeks while he was recovering. And I came over there and, and helped him to, um, to look after the scaffold business. So we manufactured rent and also sold scaffold. And, um, and I stayed there for about three weeks and he said, oh, Braden, can you stay a little bit longer? His, his father or my, my grandfather was dying in the UK. And he had to go back to uh, the UK for, I guess to say, last goodbye and, and, and the funeral or whatever was going to happen. And so I actually looked after the business with him, uh, for him when he was was gone. And when he came back, he said, oh, Braden, sorry, mate, you're going to have to stay. And um, I stayed. He made me a, a shareholder and a, and a director of the business. And uh, kind of the rest is kind of kind of history. Some of the things that we, we did together was we opened up a, a wholly owned um, factory in China which he taught me that brain you just jump right in so whatever it is just just jump in and just get it done and um 
we, we learned very quickly in China that when you think you're winning, you're losing. And when you, when you think you're losing, you're really winning. So those were some of the experiences we had um, in, in China. The other thing that he taught me was, um, was marketing. Now, everyone's an expert on marketing, although he has a, a saying to market, to market, to buy a fat pig, home again, home again, jiggity jig. And we all know that's nursery rhyme, but he's, he sums marketing up in that, in, that, in that way that, you know, what do you have to do to actually buy the pig? What do you have to do to make the pig fat? What do you have to do to transport the pig to market? What do you have to do to actually sell the pig at market and then get back to the, the farm to then buy the next pig and, and fatten the next pig. And, and he told me that everything in, in your business rolls, revolves around marketing and, um, and to what, what the staff are wearing, to how they're actually interacting with customers, to the vehicles, to the product itself. So those were the things that, that Mori um, taught me. Um, and I still, I still consider Mori a, um, a close mentor today. He, um, even though we don't, we don't talk much now because he's retired, um, a lot of things that he actually taught me, I, I still, you know, reflect on. The, the second person that uh, has influenced me is actually um, Matt Hardy. So Matt Hardy is with Ken Arts. He's currently the New South Wales, sorry, the, the Queensland General Manager. Um, and he actually taught me that feedback is your friend. And he was the first boss or manager that I had that actually gave me true, meaningful feedback. And from there, I was able to realise where I could change and, and, and improve. And I was able to do that. And I don't think as, as managers or leads in the business, a lot of people do that. I think it's so important to be honest and upfront with um, employees, to be able to let them know where they can improve. Otherwise, we all think we're doing a great job. And unless someone points out, hey, here's where you can improve, here's the feedback to help you, yeah, we don't kind of um, register. So you just, you mentioned about honest feedback. So look, if you're comfortable, I think it would be great for you to share maybe some of the feedback you've received over your career and, and sort of how it's helped you to date. One of the feedback that I received was that I, I wasn't in the office enough and I wasn't involved in the team enough in, in certain things. And I stopped and, and reflected upon that. The, the first thing you do when someone gives you feedback is you want to say, that's not correct. You know, that's not right. But I, I made sure I stopped and, and just reflected over it for a couple of weeks. And I realized that, you know what, that's, that's correct. But it wasn't that I wasn't doing work. It was that I wasn't communicating that to the team. And so I actually um, took some time to think about what can I do to help the team to be more involved in what's happening because you are so busy and what you do is you just start to, to act, you start to react to, to things and you forget to bring them in there. And so I started to actually bring the team into more discussions and more um, passing things um, by them. You may have already made a decision up, but in just helping them to understand where you've come from with making the decision and helping them to feel like they're a part of that, even if you've already got the decision made up, that then gives them buy-in to actually follow um, the, the course of action. And the end result was, you know, we, we kind of um, had, a, had better communication in the team and the team kind of trusted that I was on the right path and I was able to help them to see how they could actually be part of that, that solution or part of the business rather than just doing jobs within the business, if that makes sense. Well, that's some advice and feedback just for the life in general, I think, not just uh, the hire rental industry, but yeah, that's, yeah, thank, thank you for sharing that. that. That's some really good insights. So look, you spoke about success already briefly, but how do you define success and what do you think was a defining moment for you? That's a, that's a tough question. I, I, I look at my career in all different times and I see success 
looks different in every single one of them. I think success always comes with a happy family, first of all. You, you can't, I don't think you can have success and have your family at home miserable. And so looking after them first and foremost is, is probably your, your, your top priority. Now, Mark, do I do that? Do I do that well? I don't know. I, I hope so. And so I think the first thing you need to do before you can actually get success anywhere is, is make sure you've got success in your home and with, and with your family. From there, what does success look like in the, in the workplace? Well, you, you're going to have problems in the workplace. You know, you're going to have teams and people that actually um, have, uh, I guess, differing, differing views. Um, they're going to have problems. Some people aren't going to get along. But I look at pulling a team together, and that, that may take several months or several years to do, pulling a team together that actually trust each other and will actually do anything for each other, including whatever's at work or whatever's at home to look after them, I think is, is, um, is success. When you have a team that's actually functioning really well and everyone trusts each other, you can actually achieve and accomplish anything. And, um, and it's almost like then the, the financial rewards don't matter because they just come as a result of the team just working together. And so the, one of the biggest challenges is obviously recruitment. So, so how do you recruit to, to make this team and keep them together? Um, I, I, I wish I could just poach people and put them in the team and start it from scratch, you know? That'd be an easy way, but it never works that way. Um, I'm a big believer that, that you don't come to work and leave all your problems at home. You know, when you come to work, you bring everything with you. You, you, bring, you bring your upbringing, you bring your, your, your parents' problems, you bring your, your, your spouse problems, you bring your kids' problems. You also bring all their good points to work. You bring your education, you bring everything that you've learned in life, you bring to, to work. And you can't separate work and personal life, it, it, it's one. And that's where I think you have the most success. And I know not everyone believes in that theory. Some people say, look, look leave your problems at the door and come to work. But I, I'll, I'll share a quick experience with you, and I won't use any names, um, because this person's, a, a, I guess, a close dear friend of mine, only because I, I, I worked with, with him. But he actually came to me and said, oh, Braden, I, I, want, a, I want a promotion. I want to do this. And I actually said to him, you know, do you think that promotion is, is possible? And together we were able to look and see that, no, it wasn't possible. And so what I actually said to him was, you know, what we need to do is actually look for another position for you outside of the business. Now, you, you probably think it's the wrong thing to say, to say to someone, look, you need to leave the business. But in order for him to be successful, he needed to leave the business and go and find another, another job. And so I said, look, let me help you to, to do that. And I realized that if I had said to him, look, yes, I'm gonna give you this position, it'll come eventually. He'd always be anticipating that and he wouldn't be quite happy in the role that he's at. And then when he realized that that role was there, he'd probably be dissatisfied with it as well and give us the, the worst output he possibly could. And so I knew the best thing for the business was for him to, you know, to, to move on. And I am a big believer that you've got to actually look at what's best for the individual, not what's best for, for the company. Because if you look at just what's best for the company, the individual may not give you the output. Whereas if you look at what's best for the individual, they'll do anything for you. And they know that, that they trust you because you're actually looking out for them. You're not looking out for, you know, the bottom line and that, and that profit to the business. And if you look out for them, that profit to the business and that success will automatically um, come. Not automatically come, that's the wrong thing to say still has a lot of hard work, but it's more, more likely to come when, when, when you, you know, or when they know that you're looking after them. Wow. Oh, that's a, that's a real form of mentorship. Are you involved in any of the, the mentor programs in the industry? I'm actually, um, I'm actually currently mentoring 
two people in the women high program in the Horror Association. And um, I'm really enjoying doing it and being able to share them some of my insights that I've just shared to, to you. And I hope that, um, you know, those sort of things are helping them in their, in their career path. I think that people leadership is probably the, one of the most um, exciting parts of my role. Uh, it's probably the hardest part, you know, the, the, the people leadership, but it's the one that I actually um, like the most. I, I'm, I'm also a real, a real box ticker. I love doing tasks. And it's so often that every day I've got to stop and think, hey, that task that you're doing, who are the people behind that? So you can actually look out for those people and have that people leadership strong within your, in your business. Otherwise, you know, you can very easily just get caught up in, I've got to do this task, this task, and this task, tick, 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 done. Let's go home. Let's start again tomorrow. And then you forget the people are behind it. And those people, they get, get uh, more and more distant. And in the end, they, um, they leave and, and go find another job. So look, I do have a question for you about the Women in Hire program. And I, I need to use my words wisely here. Otherwise, I'm going to give away who this person is. So look, I, there is someone I know in the industry that is a superstar and they've been in the industry for a long time. And they work more in the back office side of the business. And like when I say they're a superstar, like like this person won the employee of the year, for example. So now this person was approached by the the women in hire program or someone that was associated with the women in hire program and said that you should definitely join it. You'd be a great asset. But they weren't sure because they're more on the back office side of things that they would be able to mentor some of the the people in the program i guess my question is is what what advice would you give to this person oh mark what a i think this is an inspired question to be honest with you i I look at do you know how many times i've spoken about rental equipment and rental processes with my mentors it's it's been very few you know when i when i speak to the the women that i'm mentoring it's always about managers, leaders, career paths, goals, all those sort of things. But these are all very much generic to, to doing business. And yes, some of it is also you look at, at, at the hire, but I reckon maybe five or 10% of what we talk about is, is hire related. And the rest is about um, how they can better themselves as far as you know, better leader or better, better manager or you know, all that sort of thing. So I would say to this person, next time when it comes up, do it because you've got your experience that you can actually share with them. And it's not a matter of, of me telling them what to do. It's actually a matter of us both actually learning and going on that journey together. So I've actually taken things and I've actually learned things by actually having these mentors that have actually helped me in my current um, role and even, even in my personal life. Um, and so I would say to this, this person, yeah, do it next time. You'll, you'll, you'll love it and you'll create some good friendships. Well, yeah, that's that's some, that's some great feedback, and yeah, I'll definitely share that with this person, and hopefully, I haven't given away too much on who this person is, but yeah. Well, look, Braden, that brings the podcast episode to an end. I I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Ah, uh, no worries, Mark. Thank you. Please share, follow, like the Rental Journal podcast, and I'll catch everyone in the next episode. Bye.